0: Shush noise, because it's time for another episode of the Curious Cats podcast with me, Ricky Spears. We're all mental. We're all crazy. We're all stuck in our own heads. That's why my guest today is Hazel Gale. Hazel is a cognitive and sports hypnotherapist. She's a multi-time world champion in kickboxing and in boxing. She's the author of her new book, Fight, win freedom from self-sabotage. I first heard about Hazel in 2014. I was reading an article about a UFC fighter who sees a hypnotherapist to work on his fight game, which kind of opened my mind up to the fact that seeing a therapist isn't a weakness. Um, and I was going through some of my own shit in 2014 where I'd be constantly, constantly berating myself, constantly criticizing myself I was my own worst enemy stuck in my own head all the time and I caught myself doing it and decided enough was enough I'm gonna go and seek professional help Um so I decided to go and see Hazel because I knew I could really relate to her the fact that she's been a kickboxer before meant that I could really really relate so I decided to take the plunge go and see her and never look back it was such a good idea Hazel really helped me to figure out why I was doing it and how I can work on stop doing it. It's not an overnight cure. It takes a lot of work but it's really worth it and I can't advise it enough. It's so, such a good idea to invest in yourself to just spend some time and some money, get some professional advice to learn about our own minds and why we might do certain things that aren't always favourable to ourselves and I've learned so much, and this is a great chat. Hazel is dropping knowledge, so have a listen, learn about all sorts of things. We talk about Hazel's um, career, we talk about self-sabotage, we talk about the good and bad points of social media, we talk about her fight career, anxiety, all the good stuff. Please enjoy Hazel Gale. So I just want to say, obviously, thanks for coming on. Um, thanks for taking the, taking the time because I know you must be ridiculously busy at the moment. So yeah, thanks, thanks for having me.
1: No problems.
0: You Happy must be, be you. Um, the busiest you've ever been, would you say, or do you reckon do you remember a busier time? Um,
1: yeah, no, I'm probably the busiest I've ever been. Not necessarily the, under the most pressure, but in terms of squeezing things into my day, it's 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 pretty mad at the moment, but that's amazing because there was a period of time, you know, when I was still ill, even just a, a couple of years ago, this would have been this level of workload, and I'm keeping it, I'm being careful with it, I'm ex- executing my self care, but this level of workload would have been impossible really? a few years ago, and so just for being able personally? to do it feels great. Yes, for me personally, yeah, right. yeah,
0: because because I've I've felt it recently, just that whole spinning a lot of plates thing can get pretty intense and i thought actually you must be doing something similar with the book with your work it's sort of the same but kind of a different thing altogether talking boxing classes it must be does it stress you out
1: um yeah of course there are moments when it can get on top of me and there have been interestingly after the book was published so all the way through writing the book i absolutely loved it i really really enjoyed the process and I was really in the process rather than thinking about the end goal, which is, of course, what I teach all my clients. And it's the, really the key to happiness because happiness can only exist in the present moment. You can't put it on hold. Yeah. But when it got to the actual publication time, I did experience a, f- a good few weeks of being really quite stressed because I I forgot everything that I teach my clients and everything that I was writing about in the book just for a period. And I was... Starting to to feel worried about the reception of the book, you know, and whether whether I'll sell enough copies and all this stuff that I really hadn't cared about at all yeah. at any point during the process of writing it. And suddenly, when it was out there, I had a bit of a wobble. And thankfully, about three or four weeks ago, I noticed that I'd let that go. And it wasn't even really a concerted effort. I think I just had let that little the novelty of the new situation had let it run out and um and come back to myself which is a relief really yeah. is a relief and now it's much easier to juggle all these things because actually like you said apart from the teaching boxing which is slightly separate but is a, a relief from everything else because it is different i
0: guess that might be a bit of a comfort zone for you anyway. it is i mean, I mean i've been, been doing, doing it, so it for
1: long. i don't know how long it is now maybe it's 15 years or something but That's just, and it's getting out of the environment and it's moving and everything and getting sweaty and connecting with people and all that stuff. It's fine. But everything else, the talks, the writing, the book promotions, the Mind Monsters project, they're all in the same place. So it's quite easy to go from one thing to the next without feeling like I'm needing to juggle.
0: Okay, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I feel like sometimes with, with my work and this and... Uh, it's not really but organising the, the three peaks that I've been doing recently it's, it feels like really having to change hats yeah absolutely like massively right okay let's take my sound engineering project management hat off and now let's try and think about relaxing enough to enjoy a good podcast and have a good conversation and talk about things that I want to talk about that I don't tend to connect with people with at work if that makes sense yeah that changing hats yeah it takes a while for me to do but i think it's important to learn how to do it
1: i think so and i think probably what tends to happen when you get really comfortable in something is that you don't feel so much like you need to change hats so much as you don't need to change gears right because you don't need to be a different version of yourself you can still be the authentic version of yourself just doing this other thing i think the only the, the pressure is when you're having to when you're learning something so you're not really feeling in flow in in new situation so you really have to consciously focus on what you're doing and which is which is a great period of time for anything because that yeah. learning stage is fun but at the same time it's harder work
0: yeah i'm glad that you said about um enjoying the book because i was going to ask about the um ask about writing it something i know it's tim tim ferris who i follow he talks about the difficulty of writing writer's block and actually how stressful and, and difficult it can be to write a book. So. Yeah, it's good that you said that you actually did manage to enjoy the process. I did. I wanted to ask you about that. What it was like? It's your first book, right?
1: Yeah, my first book. All I'd written before this
0: was that always a articles. Goal?
1: Yeah, I think it has always been a goal because I, I, yeah, I think I've always wanted to write a book, and I, I wouldn't have known at all what it would have been about a few years ago. Yeah. Um. And then it just kind of fell into my lap, which was great. But I did um. I did really enjoy it. That's not to say that there weren't moments of crisis because there are going to be those moments, but I think this is the thing so so much of the book is about learning to alchemize the stressful moments in life and the and you know the mess ups. Those are the bits that we want to we feel like we need to kind of reduce those and stop them from happening, but actually the the real way to live a, a sort of magical fruitful existence is to be able to grasp those things and turn them into strengths as you move past them yeah. it doesn't make them any easier to do while you're in a dip so i had plenty of times actually i gave myself 8 months to write this book
0: yeah
1: now i know quick. that that was not cool. really <laughs> enormously realistic I, um i got it done but it was a bit stressful at the end and there was a point i wrote the first five chapters pretty quickly and i was like oh, i'm speeding through this i'm going to get done way before deadline and then i hit chapters 6 7 and 8 and
0: do you write you write them in order. Or yeah, you I jump did. about? I don't really know. I did write Process, them in order, but right. then of
1: course you, I was going back and jumping about afterwards because you'd include something and go, okay, now I need to change that bit there, so it's going to lead on to this. Yeah, you have to do. That's what takes so much time. Once you've got the few chapters done, the one, the next ones you don't just write them like you would an article because everything has to link back. That's the hard bit. Right. Yeah. Chapter six, seven, and eight suddenly took. I mean, chapter six on its own took something like three months of really? my eight. Wow. And that's when I started to really panic a little bit that I wasn't gonna get it done. But so I was you able have to have a step deadline back. with the
0: publishers. Yeah. Then? Right. Okay.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't it w- I, j- I know that lots of authors don't meet their deadlines and they end up changing their publication date. This did, didn't even occur to me as an idea. I just it wasn't that I guess that's an old pattern of mine. That would have felt like a failure. Right. It would have felt like letting other people down. Yeah. And I and I didn't let it happen. Um so it didn't happen so I got the work done but yeah there were stressful moments but there was a really wonderful thing I wonder if this is a this isn't too much of a spoiler nah it's not a spoiler so in the book I talk about monsters so monsters the idea with monsters is they are they are the resisted aspect of the self the thing the part of us that we hate so for me my monster was all about weakness I hated this idea I didn't want myself to be weak I rejected the possibility of being weak at all that would have been the whole reason I was were attracted to fighting in the first place okay and it was the reason that i struggled so much with it because you have to be okay with vulnerability and you have to be okay with getting hurt to be a fighter otherwise you're not gonna be able to do it at all um so i talk about monsters in the beginning of the book i get people to imagine to visualize their monster and so for different people it'll be different things for some people it'll be the part that makes them comfort eat and they're likely to see it as a sort of fat unattractive blobby type thing for other people it's a a fear thing um anxiety about social situations or exams or whatever i get people to imagine they're monsters and then at the end of the book i was thinking you know the whole point of it is that you're learning to accept and understand this part of the personality you're learning to welcome the monster but i didn't want the metaphor to stay the same all the way through the book i was like I love this idea of the monster, but I don't really want people to still have a monster inside them at the end because the metaphor is a troublesome one. Yeah. And when I was trying to work this out, I was in my kitchen um, and I discovered my old thesis uh, from my degree. And I picked it up and thought, oh, brilliant, I haven't seen this in ages. I'm going to pick it up and see how much better I am at writing. And I started reading it and I was my jaw just hit the ground. I was like, oh, my God. This is amazing. <laughs> I haven't got, I haven't got better at writing. I've got stupider. Is, I happened? don't even know what these words mean anymore. <laughs> I was really is this girl. Yeah, what the fuck? I must be punch drunk. I was really, really, I was really actually hit sort of <laughs> hit a really? ceiling, and I put it down and I was like, okay, stop panicking. This is ridiculous. You're having a comparison nightmare right. against yourself. Um, so I put the kettle on to make a cup of tea. And as the water was boiling, almost as if my mind had jumbled up the letters for me, I realised that monster is an anagram of mentors. And the whole point of the book is that we need to learn from self-sabotage. We need to learn from those moments. We need to learn from our monsters. Uh So I was like, brilliant. This crisis moment that I had actually enabled me to solve the problem of how to change the metaphor in a way that meant that... So the whole idea with the book is that we can... We don't have to get rid, we can't, and don't have to get rid of our, any of our parts. We can't just get, I couldn't just get rid of the weak part. Yeah. And the harder I tried to, the the stronger it became and the more it fought back. So we have to bring these parts in. So I was able to change monsters into mentors without getting any getting rid of any of the individual parts, the letters. Just yeah. had to reorganise them.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense in something that I think you definitely taught me. And I guess it's similar to what you just said. It's not always necessarily about getting rid of that monster but learning to walk with it and see it differently
1: yeah and to love it and and also share it with other people that's the thing that we 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 reject these parts of ourselves because we've decided for one reason or another or we've been conditioned to think that they're unacceptable to others i'll be unattractive if people see me as weak or i'll be unlovable if people think i'm stupid you know these sorts of thoughts and it's that these are not truths but they feel like truths yeah um but the reality is that these parts of us that make us feel scared and exposed and vulnerable these parts of us are what me- make us make connection possible yeah. without them when we're trying to hide them it's really hard yeah. to get close to anybody to and to and to give a crap about them as well people who don't show you that stuff you can't empathize with them
0: yeah
1: so you just left a little bit cold when you meet them the people who work on that stuff and they bring it with them and they're able to say yeah here's my monster take a look yeah you, know, you can learn from it too maybe whatever you need to say that's when you get those wonderful heart to heart meetings where
0: the connection yeah yeah
1: where you feel the connection to somebody and you walk away knowing it was valuable
0: yeah i think humor definitely helps with that taking the mick out of your own not not necessarily the monsters but your own weird idiosyncrasies and things you do obsessive natures compulsions stuff like that Laughing at them and and just kind of learning to work with them can again that's something I remember taking from our sessions is almost like the the, the yin and the yang but learning that what I thought were um, things wrong with me uh, negative points I learned actually you can find a positive in this mm-hmm. yes you do overthink things but there's a reason because you think always think of a bigger picture actually there you go, there's your positive, you've got yeah. good big picture thinking, yeah. use that. Yeah. That that was massive for me, I, I remember that. Yeah, and that. And that really helps. But where did you, um, so take us all the way back, where did you get into hypnotherapy and fighting, which come first?
1: Okay, so, yeah, I mean, fighting came first. I started kickboxing in my early to mid 20s, and um it it was kind of like a homecoming i hadn't realized until i found myself in a dojo that i wanted to do that right. but when i was there i and i was good at it i was always sporty at school and this and i was always strong and so and i was coordinated so i guess i was co- one of those people who could kind of slip into it relatively yeah. quickly and so i was like i found my thing this is going to be the thing that's going to make me okay this is going to be the thing that's going to bring me success and so i started piling all of this pressure onto it and I had success quite early, and the funny thing you is, I, you
0: didn't know until you found sorry to interrupt. So you found yourself in a dojo. How did you find yourself?
1: Oh, I followed the guy I fancied in there. <laughs> <laughs> I was working in a bar. What sort of so, age? Um, it, I, I can't actually. The reason I said mid to early, mid to uh, early to mid twenties is I can't quite remember. Probably twenty three. Right. I was working in a so I graduated from art school. I did a fine art degree. And had a couple of exhibitions, then bottles it, started working in a bar, it literally bottled it, <laughs> um, started working in a bar. And so I was a bar manager. Basically, what I was doing was drinking from lunchtime until 2 a.m., 3 a.m., basically every day. And I was smoking as well and all sorts of other really unsavory, yeah, yeah. <laughs> unhealthy things, as lots of 23 year olds do. I'm yeah. sure this is not uncommon. Um and so the idea of getting sweaty in a gym and getting fit was quite laughable. And people did literally laugh at me when they found out I was going to a kickboxing gym. They were like, Are you Really? Yeah. They were press ups. Good luck. Um but I loved it. Within fifteen minutes. So I followed the guy that I fancied in there. He was actually my flatmate at the time. Right. And um and uh
0: Do You often he- follow men you fancy <laughs>
1: absolutely i'm a complete (laughs) stalker yeah no he was my flatmate so i knew him pretty well but i liked him as well and so i wanted to impress him and he kept trying to get me down to the gym and he kept buying me gear like he bought me a weighted skipping rope for christmas and i was like all right bloody hell i'll come if i don't like it in one session get off my back but within 15 minutes i was completely hooked i was standing at the the bar doing the leg stretches at the side of the dojo and i'm just like this is great i'd felt really alive
0: before but, before that, not much exercise, and other than being sporty in school,
1: no. But the I mean, bar work actually is, aside from the unhealthy parts of it, is actually really hard work. And so I would be, you know, every day carrying three, you know, crates of bottles yeah, up the and stairs and that, yeah. rushing around behind the bar. I mean, you, I kept the weight off. I was fit yeah. as a result of just activity. Stacking barrels, yeah. I was strong too. So, but other than that, yeah, no, that was as far as sport was concerned since school that had been it yeah um but then yeah okay so i got into competition i think i won my first british title within two and a half years i can't remember the exact time scales and my coach turned to me and said well done this is going to be a problem for you and i was like what do you mean he said well now you and everyone else is going to expect more from you than you should be able to give at this stage in your training um you're going to have some losses and they're going to be hard for you to take. It was a real sort of lucid moment. And of course, I didn't really hear it at the time. I just carried on because I decided that winning was the thing that was going to make me feel good about me. Okay, yeah. And, and it didn't, that wasn't just in <clears throat> fights. It was everything. So if I was doing a press-up competition with my training partner, I had to win that. If I was doing a circuit competition with the whole class, I had to at least be in the top three. Otherwise, I'd feel really bad about myself, right. which made me a horrible person to be around. Which made my life feel really anxious and and then I developed you know, a chronic state of anxiety. I was having panic attacks most looking back, I can tell you that I was having panic attacks most days, but at the time I didn't know what they were. Really? I was so dissociated from Still what mid was going 20s. on. Yeah. So well, no, now late twenties. Right. So I'd done a f i had done ai did a few years of competition and I think I first got ill when I was um, about to defend that first title not only did i get ill but then i also twisted my ankle beyond repair a few weeks before it and still i was trying to train but i couldn't it meant i couldn't make weight so i couldn't do the full contact final and then there wasn't anybody in my weight category the weight category above so i ended up doing the light contact and i and i lost i lost the first fight i was terrible right barely moved just frozen with fear and it was a really shameful, horrible day. I didn't know what to do with myself. It was like somebody had died. Yeah, I was a, I was a mess. And from that point forward, my body just broke down, um, bit by bit. My hair was falling out. I stopped being able to make weight. I was retaining water. Everything was swollen. I'd wake up in the morning. I couldn't close my hands or walk on my feet because everything was because the inflammation in my body was so bad. I was drained and tired. I'd feel sick after every training session. And yet, even though I knew that training was doing this to me on some level, I could not stop trying to go down there because it was the one thing I'd told myself was going to make me feel okay. Yeah. So like a relapsing addict, as soon as I had one a single modicum of energy, I'd be back down the gym and, and screw my screw myself up again. Yeah. And it got to this point where there were periods where I would just be lying on the sofa so shut off that people would be talking to me and I couldn't even muster the energy to respond. And uh, yeah, that was when I was forced to start looking for answers. And I started, of course, my GP and various different GPs actually, and they all tested me for things like glandular fever and various other issues, thyroid issues and stuff that would potentially explain it. And nothing did. So in the end, they kind of shrugged. Really? Well, there, there was there was no. I mean, it's I think it's more common than we realise, but there was no there was no immediate answer. Um, to be fair, I you know I wasn't a great patient I didn't stick with
0: depression never come up as a diagnosis or
1: not with my doctors no um I mean I know now that I had periods of depression and I was certainly in a chronic state of anxiety but I think probably that GPs well first of all they're not really qualified or equipped to give that kind of diagnosis but but even but they they would potentially have sniffed it out if I'd given the op- them the opportunity but when they couldn't instantly solve my problem I just went looking somewhere else because right. I wanted a quick fix. Yeah. So I tried all these different supplements and then I started trying um, Eastern medicines. And again, I do like two sessions of acupuncture and go, no, that didn't work. And I have one session of Reiki. That didn't work. You know, yeah. I wasn't giving anything a chance. Right. D- loads of different diets and nutritional plans. Finally, the thing that did make a difference was when I visited, uh, well, first of all, a clinical hypnotherapist, um, which piqued my interest. And I started... Doing a course on clinical hypnotherapy, but the the thing that made the real difference was then when I found cognitive hypnotherapy after that, and had a session with Trevor Trevor Sylvester, who's my teacher, and we did a number of different sessions. But there was one that really created this total change in my perspective. That was the session where I learned how to accept my my monster and stop trying to fight it. Right. And from that point forward, everything changed. You learned
0: that pretty quickly, then in your journey. Well. Or was this over quite a long... No, I
1: mean, it was over a long... Everything was over a long time. In terms of that, I get, you know, maybe if I'd had that session with Trevor right at the beginning, I wouldn't have learned the message. Okay, yeah. Maybe I needed to go through all of the other stuff, all of the failures. Yeah. And I and by, and by the stuff that what I'd taken from clinical hypnotherapy was I had an understanding of relaxation techniques and breathing techniques and things like that that I'd then been practising. So I'd, I'd kind of laid the foundations for what I did with Trevor yeah. but then th- yes. but then that you know that bit I was quick yeah it was like a moment of insight and then yeah then I just I started practicing as a therapist at the same time as still boxing so for a while I was running those two programs at once and gradually the boxing just faded out because I didn't need it anymore but the, I won the the last uh, the last two fights I had were both national titles boxing the first one was my first elite english um aba boxing title and it was kind of the thing You're i set my heart
0: to be a on at the same time i it? was already practicing then right. okay right
1: yeah we've skipped forward by like 12 years now okay right yeah um and that last so fight, fight
0: fighting and practicing fighting and practicing at the same a time
1: you right. went on for yeah 5 years or so okay um but that last title was when i really knew that I'd done what I needed to do there. And it was because I'd let go of the need to win. And because of letting go of the need to win, I didn't need to compete yeah. anymore. Because actually that's stressful and my body hadn't made a full recovery. So I wasn't able to just you know, get up and do three training sessions in a day. I really had to be very careful. If I'd really, if I'd really wanted to, I could have carried on and continued sort of modifying my training. But I wasn't... See, before I got ill, I could... I was. I now look back and I feel like I was superhuman.
0: Right. Yeah. Because you were dealing with it and everything else you was doing. Or? But
1: before I got just my, my, fit, my fitness levels were incredible. Yeah. I can see that now. At the time, I would have told you that I wasn't good enough. Right. Because I was going through all that stuff. Yeah. Now I look back. And I'm like, yeah, I was incredibly fit. And I and I don't think I'm, I just put through my body my body through too much to actually get back to that. Um, but even if I could, it it's not part of my purpose anymore it just it, it was always going to fade out but it faded out happily yeah because i just transitioned into this other thing which now feels so much more meaningful and enjoyable and i don't need to diet for it <laughs> yeah.
0: but that's massive isn't it that you that need to win took you on that massive journey where you learned so much and almost built who you've become totally it's that that got you there you know
1: And so that's the means that it's my monster that got me there. So my need to win came from my insecurity, my fear of weakness, my fear of not being good enough. Took me into the kickboxing gym, broke me down mentally and physically. And then only by embracing it was I able to get myself back up. And when I resurfaced, I was in a different place. Yeah. And so now my whole life is about helping other people make that journey for themselves. And for some people, it will mean, you know, letting go of the thing that they thought was the answer. And finding something else and for others it means just unblocking themselves in the in the career or the type of life they're in um, and making it better but it's it's just never ceases to amaze me to work with people and see the changes they can make and to get that wonderful feeling of connection that I get when I get to sit across from someone and see when they get something or see when they make an emotional shift yeah nothing can come close to that in terms of job satisfaction as far as i'm concerned
0: yeah that's 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 great and i i think you're in such a good position with your what you've done with the fighting and the fact that you was a classic teenager for a while doing what we all do as teenagers (laughs) that that for me i remember when i first booked you i would probably have not liked to have seen a hypnotherapist that was you know, just just a, a doctor that didn't really have. I just wouldn't relate to a person that hasn't done things I've done. I don't think. And when I realised that you've had a fight career, I instantly you can I I could instantly because I've obviously done Thai boxing myself. Instant re, instantly relate to that person because I know they're in and out of gyms, they're sweating their arse off, they're they're sparring with real real people, gritty working class people for want of a better word kind of people and the fact that i could then come and talk to someone about my issues knowing that they're actually similar background to me and they're not going to be the sort of person that said that like what you were talking about before we started recording you know that the person that said that questioned you about fighting and saying things like you know what, <laughs> why why do you want to fight and why would you fight if i ever had a doctor say that to me i'd be like oh we we're, we're finished here i can't talk to you anymore yeah don't ask me why i want to fight yeah you just need to get it
1: yeah well that's it i mean i there are lots of different ways of doing therapy and there are so many different and it's great that there are so many different forms of therapy that you can take but sort of the more traditional um styles of therapy so starting with psychoanalysis and which and then more common now is psychotherapy the those styles of therapy don't involve much in the way of disclosure on the part of the therapist They will involve a little bit on depending on the client and therapist and preference but in general it's it's about keeping your model of the world out of the therapy room um and i think i think i probably speak for most cognitive hypnotherapists in saying that we're a little bit more lax on that in that what we really believe it's not that we talk about ourselves loads in sessions that's not the point of it at all but we really believe in the teamwork yeah. of ha- of the therapy room. It's not about the expert and the client. I'm not saying that psychotherapy thinks that. That's n- I'm not. I don't want to put them down. They are brilliant at what they do. But um, the in Coghip, we really want it to feel like a joint effort. We want to make sure that everything is. It, the idea is to create the team that can make the difference, and then leave. Let the client leave with all of the power so they are empowered by the sessions and then they get to walk away knowing how to solve their own problems rather than feeling that they need to come back week after week in order to work through it in a sort of must be difficult as
0: well because you are for them to get better you're relying on them to put in quite a lot of work themselves as well right
1: yeah i mean different clients will put in different levels of work and we work with that i wouldn't if somebody wasn't somebody if if a client wasn't someone i thought that we're going to put the work in i wouldn't task them with loads of stuff yeah straight away i would give them a drip feed little bits of work um but when somebody's like yeah give me the tasks give me the homework then i'll give them loads right yeah cool um it, the, the, the homework isn't and you know they don't have to, that doesn't be, have to be a part of it but they have to take ownership of the process yeah because if they don't I, then this is the one problem with being a hypnotherapist is that everyone comes with a little bit of a hope that some kind of magic is going to happen in the room and they're going to walk away uh, not really knowing what happened, but everything's Quick better. Again, right? yeah. yeah, and exactly that. We, and I mean, I think probably everyone hopes from that, hopes about that with any kind of therapy they go yeah. to. But with hypnotherapy, there's just this slightly dodgy kind of perception of what it can do. I, mean, I did have one client say to me once, can't you just make me fall asleep slap me around the face with a wet fish a couple of times and i wake up fixed <laughs> i can't know he's joking Cooling but at the same time I'm not sure he really was yeah um so yeah that's that is a bit of a problem with having hypno any job title and and I'm, and i need people to let go of that idea as quickly as they can and instead really embrace the fact that they're the only one who can make the change and that's a good thing yeah because once they've learned how to do it, they can do it again. They don't need to come back here and do another session to work through another problem. Yeah. Well, they, they, They're always welcome to, of course, and it, it can be a thing that we can do as like an MOT. But not every problem in their life is going to is gonna demand that they see someone to get it fixed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But it does take practice as well, though. right? I remember yeah. telling a friend and they were like, well, hypnotherapy, I've never been hypnotized. What's that like? And it's like, they, they said I've never been hypnotized because everything they know of hypnotize hypnoti- hypnotherapy sorry is on telly and it's Paul yeah. McKenna it's it's all a, swinging pocket watches yeah. and yeah. funny it's talking. Like, I was like, you don't really get hypnotized. You just you go into a bit of a state and think about some things in your past. Well, I guess that's the well, that's the thing, part,
1: right? Yeah, that, well, that's the thing. See, we can't. Nobody can hypnotize another person. That person can only hypnotize themselves. And the thing is, that we're doing, our minds are doing that all day long. We go into level different levels of trance all day long. If we watch a movie and we get really engrossed in it, that's really quite a deep hypnotic state. Um, if if we're in a deep conversation with somebody, if you're driving a car and you know how to drive a car well, you're in trance. You're, ha- you're not consciously thinking about indicating and pressing on brake pedals with yeah. your feet. N- yeah. That's not happening. You're in a complete or sort of automatic state that's trance um and so the way we see it in cognitive hypnotherapy is that there are effective trance states and ineffective trance states somebody's anxiety attack that's that's trance that's a hypnotic state right yeah you want to be able to train them how to stop creating that hypnotic state and instead create a more positive one so you know being in a flow state in sport for example that's trance too yeah so trance is neither good or bad It's not a special thing that some people can do and some people can't. And it's not a thing that other people do to you. It's a thing that you can do to yourself. And a lot of this work is about learning how to access the trance states you want and to use the positive ones perhaps to interrupt the negative ones. So one of the things that we'll do often in here, and I will have done with you lots of times, is anchoring, where you connect some kind of sensory information. That could be a visual thing, like a colour you visualise. It could be an auditory thing, like a the memory of a sound of somebody's voice or even a word that you speak yourself and it could be a sensory thing like um, a kinesthetic thing like the feeling of uh, pressing on your knuckle Yeah. and of course it can be smells or tastes as well but that rarely happens in the therapy room and the mind automatically connects sensory information to emotional information most people will be able to remember Going on a holiday where they heard a certain song, and then when they hear that certain song for the rest of their life, they kind of remember what it feels like to be yeah. back there.
0: Songs are massive for that sort of thing, aren't they? Well,
1: especially for someone like you who clearly is good at auditory information. Yeah. Um, smells are really strong with that too. Yeah. There is, you know, smells can take you back
0: decades. Yeah. CK one. If I smell that now, I get taken <laughs> back to being sixteen.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. For me, it's Fahrenheit. Oh yeah. God, <laughs> disgusting! <laughs> I just remember teenage boys, Fahrenheit mixed with yeah. sweaty armpits, gross. <laughs>
0: Um, Finish training, just douse yourself in fairy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> good
1: to no, go yeah. So the shower. Yeah, <laughs> i
0: good. Let's go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Lovely. Um, so I can't remember where I talk, started talking about anchoring. Oh yeah, trance, interrupting trance states. So if you've, if you've done that, if you've managed to connect a feeling of, the emotional state of feeling connected to someone, or feeling like you have a state of belonging, or just feeling calm, with something like a color or a feeling or a sound then you can then take that away and for potentially for the rest of your life, as long as you keep it alive by using it, you can use that to interrupt moments of, of fear. I was public speaking today and you know, that's still something that creates you know considerable amount of anxiety in me, um, which I just noted might bring myself up and down and up and down through it all the time leading up to it, um, using different techniques to interrupt it. When I'm standing on stage my anchor, which I used about three times today, is this golden light that I got out of a memory reframing session one time. During talking, sorry. During talking, yeah. And especially in the pauses. Pause and plant my feet and look out at the audience and I imagine this gold colour flowing from me to the audience. Because my, the thing that changes public speaking around for me is remembering that this is not me being the centre of tension. This is is something I picked up in a beautiful TED talk called The Art of Being Yourself. I can't remember who delivered it but it was brilliant um she said that performing is not about being the center of attention it's about the audience being the center of your attention and that's when that's what i use this gold light for the gold light is connected to a feeling of belonging for me as a result of doing some memory work with my dad well with trevor my therapist about my dad and when i imagine that gold light connecting flowing from me to the audience it tells me it reminds me that I'm speaking because I'm delivering something of value and this is all about those people in the audience receiving something of value, not about me performing, you know, being the tap dancing dog on the stage or something like that. I'm not that. That's not the thing. If I'm rubbish, they'll forget me. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. But if I'm, if I give them something of value, they can forget me still. But as long as they take the valuable thing away, then, then there's been a point in me being there. Yeah. So that's what I use my anchor for personally.
0: That's massive to be able to um, do that whilst you're in the moment. Must is the difference in someone that can do that and someone that can't, and that anxiety just gets the better of them during a presentation, anything like that. Yeah, is huge, and I've noticed that the, you've pretty much won won the battle when you catch yourself. Yes, you just catch yourself doing it, and that was again something I've learned from from our sessions. Um, I think I I always likened it to as something spiraling out of control, and I always remember a term you said you'd get off the train, and for some reason that stuck in my head. Yeah. And if I feel myself getting wound up at something, I feel it growing and growing, getting worse, I now got a lot better at saying, "Well, there, Rick, get off yeah. this train, mate. We know where that goes. You're not don't, oh, that's good. don't have anything to do with that. I just should, get off.
1: I should say that more often. That's yeah. A, it's because
0: it it, it it just I don't know something can, it made sense to me like you know one way train to nowhere yeah like get off it because it's it's and you always have
1: you always have the choice to get off the train that's the thing what you're talking about is self-awareness of course being able to notice you're doing the problem i say doing the problem because anxiety is not something that happens to us it's something we do same with resentment same with shame guilt all of these things are things that we create unconsciously yeah. but that means that we can we are the only ones who actually have the power to stop them from happening yeah but we need to be able to notice them in the in the moment so of course i'm i saturate myself in this stuff because i'm doing it every day so it's easy for me to realize when i'm standing in front of a crowd of people that my heart rate is maybe a little bit too high or my voice is sounding a little bit strained because yeah because i'm nervous and then just to take a second it only takes a second yeah. to visualize something that I know can help yeah. but everyone can get to that stage you've just got to practice
0: yeah and it, I, I always thought of it of of getting past getting to a stage where that never happens but then I slowly learnt it's not about that it's about it'll always happen you'll always feel anxiety you always feel stress angry whatever but it's now not letting it control you and just catching it yeah' just catching it every time and
1: being okay with yeah I mean it's like the thing about anxi- anxiety. Is not quite the same as fear. Fear is a completely natural human emotion. We absolutely all need fear. If we didn't have fear, we'd have all walked into the road and died by now, yeah. right? It's, that's, it's essential, so is anger. Anger is powerful, it tells us what's important. And then all the positive emotions as well. Guilt's useful as well, right? People yeah. really worry about guilt. And they say, no regrets, we shouldn't have it. But guilt is powerfully important emotion. It tells us that what we did is not something that we'd like to do again. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. And so
1: guilt teaches us who we want to be. So all of these emotions are important, but if we don't allow them to flow through us, if we don't allow them to be what they naturally are, which is just energy and information, then they stagnate. So if you don't allow fear to be what it needs to be, it will be stagnate and become anxiety, like this long drawn out rancid version of fear and it's that's it's unhealthy same with resentment it's like a long drawn out stagnating version of anger if you let the anger out and you use it you won't have resentment but if you if you hold on to it tell yourself that it's not okay and try to push it down it will probably turn into resentment at some point and you can kind of say the same thing about guilt stagnating into shame yeah it's a mutation of guilt tells us that something we did this is a Brené Brown thing she's amazing look her up if you don't haven't done so already she talks about the difference between guilt and shame guilt is when we feel bad about something we've done shame is when we feel bad about the person we think we are and if we can we can feel guilty or shameful about the same kind of situation if we interpret it as guilt it's important information that tells us how to be better if we interpret it as shame then it just tells us that we're not good enough full stop not good enough for anyone else and we need to absolutely hide this thing that we've done or this trait that we're exposing because it will make us unacceptable to everyone else and then that that can completely it can eat you up from the inside and i really think that was what was going on with me with chronic fatigue i was being i was victimizing myself in my own body and in my own emotions to the extent that i you know in the end i was feeling like a prisoner of my own body because i had muscle ache the whole time and i couldn't get out and do the thing i wanted to do but it was all just because i was fighting myself
0: yeah i wish more people would um invest in themselves because all i find it fascinating and everything i've learned from you has just spiraled into just being fascinated with mindset and how powerful it is and i'm doing a uh, i've actually signed up to like a tony robbins course at the moment as well and that's a lot about um how you 'Cause a big thing of mine is always what other people think of me. That's always been a mm-hmm. bit too forefront in my mind and and something I was learning. So you actually get a coach with it. They call it a success coach or results coach, sorry. Yeah. It's kind of somewhere between business and personal. It's up to you really. But you yeah. can set some goals and they help you work with it. But and a big thing that Tony Robbins teaches his coach, so they're all Tony Robbins approved coaches. And a big thing that he's he's big on is um, Visualizing what you want your life to be and, and where you want. Not worrying about what people think of you, how people view you, but actually, how do you want to be viewed? Who do you want mm. to be? Mm-hmm. And, and focusing on that more so than than what other people think of you. But I've got no idea what that had to do with our last point. To be honest with you, anyway. So.
1: Well, it's a really <laughs> important point, anyway. I mean, it actually Tre- Trevor, my teacher Trevor, who was giving a talk a while ago, and he said. People often talk about FOMO, the fear of missing out. And he said, well, I don't think FOMO is a real problem. It's FUPO that's the issue, which is fear of other people's opinions. Yeah. And it's something that we all struggle with so much because especially in today's society with social media and and just everything, I mean, social media is, in general is just all about other people seeing this projected version of us, which is yeah. totally edited down. Yeah. So that's potentially I'm not somebody who thinks all social media is evil. I think that it's got the potential to be amazing. It's just also got the potential to be really quite damaging. and We need to be we need to set super strong boundaries around how we use it yeah. to protect ourselves from that stuff. I reckon there'll probably be glosses on it in schools before long because kids need to know this. They do really need to know this.
0: That's a good point. Like there I hope there is.
1: Yeah, well, there, there are. I mean, there are. I, I don't know any stats on this, but I know that there is a, a big rise in uh, teenage suicide connected to like online bullying and social media stuff. So, right, like, it has to be, has to change. Um. But it's not just social media, it's also the professional world and and also just re- like real social life, like actual physical social life. We're all so busy thinking about, you know, am I wearing this month's shoes? I literally never think that. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is no. Um, you know, how do I look? Am I thin enough? Am I pretty enough? Did that thing that I just said sound clever enough or funny enough? You know, we're always asking these questions. This is like looking in mirrors all the time. Yeah, it forces us to look back at ourselves, and when we look back at ourselves, not only do we see all the imperfections that we're worried about seeing because they're going to be there, but also it causes anxiety because anxiety is there to make us look back at ourselves. It's there to make us check in and see if we're too close to the cliff's edge or the fire. That's what fear is there to do. But if we keep doing it, the mind thinks well, we keep looking back. There must be a threat, right? So we convince ourselves to feel anxious about something that's just totally doesn't need to make us feel anxious just because we're checking in too much
0: yeah i think it's it's a bit of a concern and it's i'm fearful for that generation so mm-hmm. moved on so different to when i was in school and when we was growing up with social media and phones and how connected with everyone and everything we are
1: it's all happened so quickly that we haven't had the opportunity to evolve along with it yeah
0: you messed up enough at that time in your life yeah regardless of now being able to compare yourself to everyone
1: And I look back at what I was like when I was sort of 11 years old. I can remember I was wearing uh, 11 or 12. I would have been wearing a really big new kids on the block (laughs) T-shirt and a pair of black leggings with holes in them and plimsolls or something like that. No makeup. And I didn't really care about whether I looked cool in those days because it wasn't so much. I mean, I must have done a little bit, but it wasn't so much about that then. It just was other stuff. Yeah. Um, and I look at now I've got I've got a fair amount of young boxers that I'm connected with on Instagram and social media just from not so much now but certainly from before, and I was looking at them, 12 years old, and they they look like glamour models, right? And it and they also they look like glamour models and because they're wearing so much makeup they look 17 or 18. Yeah, it's frightening the difference, and that's only happened in a couple of couple of generations
0: it's quick isn't it how quickly it has moved technology generally and how much we consume it and use it now is it an an, uh, an all-girls class you take at the gym or
1: no no mostly men no. i th- um thankfully do have a couple of a few uh, uh, i say a couple of women maybe sort of four or five women that turn up often which is great because i really love coaching women but no i mean actually i wouldn't i wouldn't out in out of principle take it girls only class right yeah not because partly because i don't think anything should should be segregated at all because in some ways that's kind of excluding men with that's not the way to to fight uh inequality but also i and this might just be an ego thing but i don't know there's i don't like the idea of women going to a Boxing class and thinking we're doing the girly version of it. Yeah. And I don't okay, like the right. idea of men thinking that either. Or you can go to your girly boxing class. You probably put on some pink gloves and yeah. And not really punch very hard or something <laughs> like that. I, yeah. I'm not saying all men would think that, but yeah. I I don't want to perpetuate that idea. Yeah. Okay. Women can train boxing with men, like just just in the same way that I can have a heavyweight guy sparring with a welter or middleweight guy in the club. They don't do heavy sparring because they're just doing technical sparring, and that's okay. The heavyweight guy cannot punch hard enough can just rel- relax his punches a little bit so that he can spar with somebody lighter yeah. now that's exactly the same if I've got um, a guy and a girl sparring with each other, there's no reason to separate it it's not like the women are going to walk into a men's boxing class and just instantly die, <laughs> it's fine we can handle it
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you're in the gym for, the, for a reason you can handle yeah. it the water.
1: yeah I was going to do the same
0: did you did you use um, anchoring in your own um, competition? Nice time.
1: Uh, I used absolutely everything while I was competing. Yep, I used anchors. I had anchors and meta lots and lots of metaphors um, for training like a, stuff.
0: Almost an unfair advantage being a hypnotherapist and a fighter. <laughs> that's massive. Because <laughs> fight, would you agree that I've heard it before that um, mindset is I can't remember. Percentage on it, but it was seventy you know, percent of fighting, and, and I can't help but agree with that.
1: Yeah, well, I yeah, I'm not sure they can really give it a complete no, percentage, but um, it certainly is a big part of it. Or at least you can you can be a brilliant fighter in the gym, have the wrong mindset, and um, and and that can get in the way of you being that brilliant fighter in the ring. Yeah, definitely. Um, you can't be a crappy fighter and get your mindset sorted and suddenly be a brilliant fighter. Yeah,
0: That's
1: you need right. to do the physical work too. The yeah. two things go hand yeah. in hand. Yeah. But yeah, it's important to do. I and mean, increasingly, I see more and more athletes who just come in to learn a little bit about it. They don't necessarily have a problem. Lots of lots of people will be dealing with performance anxiety in some way, um, but they come in just to learn how to train their brain in the same way that they train their body. Yeah. And so there's loads of things. Like I've got a boxing. I've got a boxing client who I've been training now. Not intensively he just comes in for one or two classes a week as part of his fitness thing but we have been training him for like a decade and he's brilliant at responding to metaphor so he we've got a whole sort of catalog of metaphors that we use that mean different things for example if i shout flamenco at him i mean that his punches need to be snappier because one time i asked him about the difference He, he suddenly threw a really great punch and I was like that that's what you need to be doing more of what yeah. was the difference and he was like I don't know it had this snap in it and I said what kind of snap and he said the snap like a like a flamenco dancers foot on the floor you know when it's like that yeah. Sort of bang
0: Yeah,
1: and I was like okay great that's it so you now if that. I shout flamenco at him he doesn't even it's like his body responds to it before he even hears it consciously yeah. it just changes One of his other ones steel cube is another one which means a tighter guard and a solider base. solider more solid, um, minim as in a minim gun. That's one of the recent ones. The minim guns are those ones that have a barrel. Oh, okay, that right, yeah. Rotates, yeah. And uh, he was thinking about that, as the way that his trunk needs to rotate to throw a really decent left hook, yeah, keeping everything locked in. So things like that are brilliant because yeah. they don't take any time at all. You just need to flash the image of the thing into your head. The flamenco, flamenco dancer the steel cube, whatever. Or it could be a colour or whatever. Um, and your body responds to it. And you've trained that in, in the same way that if some, your coach shouts jab at you, you jab.
0: Yeah.
1: If your coach shouts flamenco at you, you sharpen up your punches. Yeah. It's all the same deal. You're just learning a cue and a response. Um, So, yep, I used that. And I used lots of other things uh, pre-fight. What was um, your um,
0: self-talk like, sort of ring walk and announcing? Like names being called and stuff. What's your self talk. Is there a self talk, talk at that point, or are you?
1: Ring conscious walk, to keep a clear head. Ring walk. Um, it, my my focus was always just to be present in those situations, because certainly not. I would have inner commands that I'd use every now and then, and they would all be about being present and enjoying it. Okay. Yeah. Like. I can enjoy this would be something I'd say to myself often. To and and this is exciting like a really great reframe is to reframe fear for excitement because by sort of um in terms of the biology of what's happening in your body when you experience fear and excitement they're very 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 close so you you kind of it's kind of a matter of perception whether you go down the fear route or the excitement route so that's a great reframe for anyone if you're feeling nervous about something it's because you're doing something new and different and challenging and that is an exciting thing if you allow it to be yeah so I wouldn't do that much in the way of self talk but what I would would just be reminders to get myself into the present moment. And a really big thing with fighting is to stop thinking about winning.
0: Really? <laughs> it's to stop. For you or do you think widespread? For everyone. Really?
1: Yeah. There have been lots of like studies that look at outcome motivation, outcome visualisation. So people imagining themselves doing well on the exam or winning the competition or whatever. Yeah. And they're finding that this is the type of thing that sort of... Tra- Traditional self-help would tell you to do visualize yourself being yeah, the best, yeah. blah blah blah, and it'll happen. Um, but there are just lots of studies now that have found that actually that kind of outcome motivation, uh, visualization, can actually decrease motivation.
0: Really?
1: And there are different theories on why. One of them is that by visualizing it, we give ourselves just enough of a dopamine boost, just enough of a pleasure hit, to not really need to work for it, to, to forget our hunger because we're satisfying the craving enough just by visualizing it. I think also we are then... The real problem is that we're then setting up this binary win or lose. Either I win this fight and I'm okay or I lose it and I'm a failure. Yeah. If we think too much about this one big outcome, either I get specifically that outcome or it was all, it was all a total waste of time. Yeah. Um, and that's pressure. Yeah. Want that. yeah. The, the reason I enjoyed that kickboxing lesson, that first one I went to, I was talking about earlier on, was because I enjoyed the kickboxing. Yeah. And once you know once and i can enjoy boxing too and i could enjoy and then so i can actually enjoy walking into the ring and i don't want to miss that stuff yeah walking in through the crowd and walking past people that you know from the boxing scene and having your name announced as you walk in and looking at your opponent that's all stuff that you don't want to forget you don't want to skip past that just to get to the win yeah because that's actually the point so
0: easy to miss it as well though right well yeah remember my first one remember nothing other than being a punch well the first one's slightly different true yeah
1: your first one i mean i i <laughs> my first fight was a light contact one at so light contact doesn't actually mean that light like continuous kickboxing uh-huh. about it's still pretty hard compared to most people's standards but you're not meant to knock each other out it's meant yeah. to be more about technique than yeah. ko's i went in there and it was just like tasmanian devil and i <laughs> knocked the girl out about 45 seconds into round one what? and she walked like just sort of looked stunned it was her first fight too she sort of looked stunned walked off the mats to her coach who called quits and i was just standing in the middle of the mats looking really confused and my, my coach was like yeah you shouldn't have done that yeah let's calm down <laughs> yeah. a little bit <laughs> i was like what what just happened yeah i had no idea lungs burning yeah yeah, yeah, after 45 that. seconds of
0: activity Yes, yeah, mad isn't it I remember going because mine was similar a little small club bout um, you're allowed to go relatively hard but you know if the ref sees someone's not into it then they'll yeah. ease it up but I remember coming back to my corner after two minutes my first two proper competitive minutes and just being like just I've never been this tired in my life this is ridiculous I've got to go back out there in one minute yeah what, yeah what's going on i've yeah. been running hills for god's sake exactly. i can't do this out i've
1: done so many rounds of sparring just this week and this one yeah has yeah i know i but remember, I remember my
0: trainer looking at me and laughing and saying you enjoyed that didn't you and it just sort of brought me back into the moment yeah just as he he, he knew me well he knew what worked with me and how to talk to me and he's kind of looked at me and laughed and that sort of brought me back into yeah, the moment yeah great like, calm down a bit Rick.
1: yeah <laughs> yeah that's
0: good (laughs) that's good do you still what do you do um what do you do now do you still train yourself
1: um not much i mean i train a little bit when i coach um so i will if i'm doing a private session i often spar with my clients and i sometimes mix in with the groups a little bit bit the sparring is the most fun bit now i mean my primary exercise is yoga these days um because I, I transitioned a little bit into that just recently because i really appreciate the mindfulness element of it. And I feel like I can kind of get, if I go for an hour and a half session of yoga, I'm getting exercise, as well as stretching, which my body really needs, and a meditative practice all in yeah, yeah. one. But also um, I'm coaching at a really lovely little gym called Fighter Fit in Bethnal Green, and the guy who runs it, Francesco, is brilliant. And so we've made a vow start training with each other a little bit more often so okay, cool. first session with him next week i, just, I still love it i just no, that's good and um, it's easy to and i know that i don't have the time it's just an excuse but it's very easy to make that excuse at the moment because i'm yeah. so busy so i need to that's why the teaching is so great because i'm locked in i'm definitely there two nights a week yeah um and then anything other than that is a bonus yeah
0: Is that? Do you use that for? Do you do any anything for your mind separate to your exercise or your yoga? Do you do you meditate? Do you purposely go and take a walk or anything like that just to? Do you work on your own mind? I guess is is the question.
1: Yeah. Again, I've got lots of different things. Like I don't have one practice. I don't have a meditation practice, but I have. Um. One of the one of the main things I do is in my book I i've got these four questions that i ask people to get in the habit of asking themselves which are i call them diving down because it's like you dive down through the different deeper levels of awareness with each of the questions and then with the final question you reframe your experience at the moment to come up somewhere better so it's a way of instead of running from our problems or our fears instead of just trying to clamp our hands over our ears and pretend something isn't happening which is often the natural response to anything that feels uncomfortable yeah. these questions help us to walk into it to go right in again so what am i what the questions are what am i thinking so that's like a thought dump like a brain dump yeah. thought awareness and um, you can write the answer down or you can do it in your head question number two is what am i feeling so we so often don't even experience our feelings because we are so good at dissociating from them pretending they're not happening, basically. So what am I feeling is about dropping our awareness into our body and actually noticing rather than just saying, I'm anxious, actually asking the question, how am I experiencing this anxiety right now? It might be a tightness in the throat. It might be a fluttering feeling in the chest. It might be sickness in the stomach. It will be different for everyone. And it can even be different each time you experience it. Because we don't choose to experience it. We don't learn to read those messages. Those are just messages from the unconscious mind. They're just the body giving us a signal. So we need to be able to attune ourselves to it. So what am I thinking what am I feeling the third question depending on in the book it's about monster stories because the book has the monster metaphor in it but if you were going to take that metaphor out of it it basically would be what's the self-judgment I'm making here because when we're having an uncomfortable experience it's never because the thing that we're experiencing is objectively bad if I'm nervous about a public speaking event it's not because the public speaking event is a scary thing it's not for some people it would be and for others it wouldn't yeah. The reason that I would be nervous about a public speaking event is because I've allowed a part of my mind to th- assume or fear that I'm going to fuck it up, basically, yeah. or that I'm going to look stupid or whatever. And these are all things that, all of my life, I've tried to run from. So instead of running from it, I'm going to go. Okay, so I'm feeling this feeling right now because a part of my mind wants to believe that I'm going to fuck it up. And then I have looked it, I've looked the monster in the eye. I've taken myself right down to the root cause of my experience. And as soon as you do that, another part of your mind pipes up and says, but you're not going to, are you? Or, but if you did, it wouldn't matter. Or, there are more important things to think about than whether or not you fluff up a line or forget yeah. to say a little bit of your talk. It doesn't matter. So the, the final question is, how could I see this differently? Which is, you know, if I wasn't allowing that little bit of my mind that's afraid of fucking it up to take everything, to take over, if I wasn't allowing that to happen... How could I see this as an opportunity for growth? How could I see this as an opportunity for connection? Yeah. So that golden light thing I was talking about earlier on, any public speaking event is an opportunity for me to share the stuff that I feel really passionate about that changed my life around completely. That's an exciting thing to look forward to. Yeah. So this is not an opportunity for me to mess up. It's an opportunity for me to share something. And even if only one person in that audience benefits from it, then then it's been a worthwhile experience. Yeah. So I could I would use that and I did use that even last night, thinking about the public speaking I did today. I also use it most nights as standard if I'm struggling to sleep. Because my main reason that I'll struggle to sleep is just that my brain just goes on and on and on and on and on. Yeah. And I think in a voice in my head, and it's just this voice that just goes on and on and on. Sometimes about interesting stuff, sometimes about really boring stuff, sometimes yeah. about scary stuff. Yeah. And my way of getting rid of that. That is to do this diving down process, and I often find that I'm just starting to answer the fourth question when I fall asleep.
0: Right. It sounds quite a lot like meditation itself, but that's stuff you've learnt from from hypnotherapy, I'd imagine.
1: I actually put that process together as I was writing the first drafts of the book because I was trying to work out how to um, how to get people to answer the types of questions that I would usually have them answering in our first session. Yeah. Because lots of people, some people come in knowing what their deepest, darkest fears are. And other people come in having absolutely no idea. And if you just said to them, hey, I think I've got, you've got a fear of failure. A lot of them will go, no, I don't. Yeah. And so you can't do it that way. Yeah. So I wanted to get people to ask those questions. That's what that's where that came from. I have since learned that actually it's very similar to something from schema therapy. I didn't know about that when I wrote the book. So I haven't quoted that in the book. But it's so it's so it was actually quite affirming. It's a, I'd come up with something which is... Um, kind of already exists yeah so it's a thing that works which is great um uh yeah so that's how it came about
0: yeah when you what you were saying about facing the fear or the anxiety did remind me of doing uh an anxiety hack on headspace it's kind of what it talks about in a lot of the stress comes from resenting the the anxiety it comes it rises in, in yourself and it's the pushing yeah. away and trying to resist it that can yeah make it worse whereas actually if you face it and go oh that's anxiety oh, what does that feel like it feels weird in my chest yeah and then kind of and then straight away you're already on the downhill of it yeah. it it, it, it can totally. dissipate
1: you can even challenge it to try and do its best you can go and say come on come on anxiety you know let's yeah. see what you can do because yeah. it can't can't do anything yeah to you and actually, if you give it permission, yeah, give yourself permission to go all out anxiety. The moment you make that decision, it kind of stops yeah. being able to happen. Be like yeah. trying, really trying to cry, not like yeah, not likely yeah I like to, that. Likely like it. to cry.
0: Come on, then anxiety, what you got? Yeah, you need to be careful. You don't probably put yourself into a panic attack, but <laughs> no, but that's the thing. <laughs> but it you wouldn't, you could. it wouldn't, would it? Or you wouldn't.
1: Would it? You well, you wouldn't. You might start one, but it wouldn't if you're actually having that attitude to it. The panic attack is when you are resisting and not allowing the fear to be fear. Yeah. And so you're trying to keep it out and the more you try to keep it out, the more powerful it seems and the scary it seems to walk into it. But the minute you say this is this is human reaction, I'm gonna walk into it and yeah, be as big and as powerful and as scary and get my heart going as fast as you possibly can and within moments you will be feeling better. Yeah. Um it's quite a it, like it's hard to explain until you do it yeah
0: absolutely yeah i agree
1: um but it doesn't mean that's then it's gone it doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to come back it it, sometimes it will come back a few moments later and you just do it again
0: yeah what's it like um all your friends and family knowing that you're a hypnotherapist do you do you get people asking you as friends and family asking you questions for a lot of help do you ever feel like they're they feel like you might be judging them because there's always that that comedy element it's usually you see in a some sort of sitcom when someone's a therapist and then it's they're in they're going out to dinner with friends and then the friends feel awkward because they think they might be getting analyzed in yeah. conversations does that ever come up at all or
1: yeah totally stop therapizing me <laughs> <laughs> um i do my I, I don't think in that way when i'm speaking to friends or family yeah, i'm I'd not imagine a, i'm you don't. not analyzing them i'm yeah. not it's like they can pay me if they want them. <laughs> yeah yeah i wouldn't see friends or family as as clients um it yeah, absolutely the, with close friends and family, there could lots of my close friends are therapists, so right, okay. just doesn't isn't there's a non event there um, but uh you know you can you can have a couple of arguments with somebody who thinks like it, I've definitely heard from my family, God I, not everything's about the unconscious, like things like that, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, um, I think it kind of is. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, but it's just, I, you know. And, and when I started, there were lots of people asking for help. And I'm more than happy to give them a referral. Um, at the beginning, when I was training, I'd see lots of people for free and say, I'm training and let's try it out. Yeah. These days, no. Um, I just will be, you know, in the same way that I would be with before I was a trained therapist. I will be an ear. I will be a shoulder and a friend. Yeah. Um, and I will also give them a referral if they want it.
0: Right to, to, to see someone therapy. else. Right. Okay. Yeah. Because that is part of that's something I've learned to um, slow down. Well, when when talking to people is, you don't have to fix whatever it is that they've got a problem with that they're telling you. Actually, just shutting your mouth and listening and yeah. trying try not to fix anything. It's always probably more help than
1: most people don't want anyone else to solve their problem and actually even if they do want somebody else to solve their problem for them it's not going to happen yeah they've got to yeah. solve it themselves and it has to be in that therapeutic alliance situation the teamwork i was talking about earlier on and that's better when it's not a friend and there's no other baggage brought into the room so um yeah it's not really a thing that you can do with your friends
0: yeah well i feel uh, again that's something that has been getting my attention recently is the the difference in relationship with friends and family and how you confide in friends quite comfortably with problems because you haven't got that preconceived idea that you might be getting judged yeah friends just seem to have a sympathetic ear more so than family which might be all in your head but it seems to work
1: i think that's true for lots of people yeah um not not everyone but i think that is true for lots of people because you haven't always been really young and felt like the young one around friends
0: yeah true. whereas you
1: often have with family
0: yeah
1: i mean i was th- i was the oldest of two siblings but i was still the young one and compared to my parents so you know they can and the thing is we we fail sometimes to update our versions of people that we've known for a long time and we can also slip back into old versions of ourselves yeah so i i uh, not that long ago, a couple of maybe even last year i went on holiday with my mother and sister and there was a period of, it wasn't very long, 15 minutes or something, I completely slipped back into 15-year-old angry, angry, childish, selfish me, because we walked in and the place, uh, you know, didn't have the right amount of room in the hotel. It was really brattish. Yeah. For about 15 hours. I was, I, was, I was on the deadline with the book and I uh, didn't have, I needed Wi-Fi to finish the work and I needed a room. Yeah. Um. But I was going to have to share a bed with my sister. Yeah. Which is fine. <laughs> 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 but it wasn't at the time. And um. Yeah. yeah. And I really felt like that horrible, disempowered. Er- the, everything's out to get me feeling. Yeah. That I remember from my teens. Yeah. And i like, well, I hate you, Mum. You're so stupid. That stuff. <laughs> I became that person for 15 minutes and then I kind of snapped out of it and I had to apologise to the poor woman that had shown us this apartment that was all wrong. I'm so sorry. <laughs> don't know where that came from and I apologised to my mum and my sister and, and moved on from there. But yeah. So it can happen to us all the time. So that's the danger with family.
0: Yeah, and um, slip back into some sort of mode. I noticed it with a friend recently actually. I was around his house and then having I mean, a generally chilled out night and then his whole family arrived Cause they've been out and they have just popped in to see us because we know him quite well and they knew we were there and they popped in and just him himself once his family arrived, he changed.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. How totally. he held
0: himself changed. He wasn't as talkative anymore. He wasn't being his usual yeah, yeah, yeah. self that I know. He's he's an older brother so there's and he's got quite a few siblings. But yeah, I found that really interesting. Yeah. And I realised, yeah, I was doing that and that's part of the thing I learnt with you. I was, there was a mode yeah. I was going into around family.
1: Well, it's another trance state thing. So just going into a 15-year-old trance state, basically. Yeah. Um, and anyone who's going into a phobia, most phobias, things like you know, simple phobias, like spider phobias and things like that, almost all of them have their roots in formative years. And so when somebody who has a spider phobia sees a spider, they basically regress to the age of six in order to access the memory, which the mind thinks controls a really effective way of escaping certain death. Yeah. So it's logged this memory like we all oh, that spider was dangerous but we got away alive. So what did we do last time? Oh yeah that's right we, we cried and ran into daddy's arms. And um, when you're 36 rather than 6 crying and running into the arms of the nearest adult not always a
0: great look. <laughs> it looks a bit weird.
1: Yeah. I mean it can work but <laughs>
0: <laughs> that fascinates me though that your brain will take you back to the smallest of memory that is logged from I don't know from from years, years ago.
1: Well, that's it. I mean, it's doing, and those memories are not the same as they were years and years ago, as, as well. Remember, the memory is constantly updating itself. We know this now. We used to think that memory was like a record of what's happened, but they now know that um, that memory is an evolving thing. There's a brilliant study done, I can't remember the names of any of the scientists, it's in my book, done when the um, Explorer space shuttle exploded. So, yeah. one of those big crisis worldwide shocking moments that most people would go yes i remember that day and i remember where i was and what i was doing and they wanted to know if people really did remember those things so the day after the shuttle exploded they interviewed a load of people and they asked them where they were who they were with, what they said what they did what their reaction was what how they felt a load of a load of questions simple answers for and then they came back to them two years later and asked them the same questions and everyone said yes i still remember the moment totally clearly over a quarter of people had misremembered every single detail. They didn't yeah. know where they were. They didn't know who they were with. They didn't know what they said and they got their feelings wrong, all of that stuff. And not one person remembered every detail correctly. And that's just over two years.
0: But they regurgitated the memory again, obviously. Yeah. they said they remembered it. I was here, I did that, but it was different to the last oh, right?
1: Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. So, so the memory still, it's not like they'd forgotten. Oh crap, no, I can't remember where I was. Not that. No, they were like, yes, I definitely I was, I was in place X, but they weren't there in place Z. And... So when I read that, I instantly phoned my mum and I said, hey, remember 9-11? Do you remember uh, me rushing out into the garden when you were hanging up the clothes to tell you that a plane had flown into the Twin Towers? Yeah. And she was like, no, I was doing the ironing when I heard about 9-11. I was like, damn it! <laughs> sure that I had it right. I can remember it. I can still remember it clearly. I can remember everything about it. I can even remember the smell of the garden on that day. Really? I That's swear nice. it. Um but no, that's not the memory that mum has. I mean still obviously I'm right and she's wrong,
0: but without doubt. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. I wonder why that is why that's all about.
1: Well it's about learning. If we remembered everything exactly the way it was, then when we utilised that information it really would be we really would be acting like children all the time. So the memory learns so that we can update these blueprints in our mind that tell us how to respond to stuff. We need to be able to do that. Which is fine, Um, but in terms of problems, it means that memories. So we've come back to the spider phobia. It means that memories can get worse. So if I did have a, if I had a spider phobia and I had a memory of age six and a spider jumping on me or something like that, and therefore I'm afraid of spiders, and then at age thirty six I jump into someone's arms in Tesco's because I'm afraid of a spider, I've got to add onto what will happen is I add into the memory humiliation as well as fear. And a feeling of being weak and out of control. And this thing that was originally just about spiders becomes a whole full scale identity, potentially could become a whole full scale identity complex. Yeah. Um, because the memory is learning all sorts of other horrible stuff. Yeah. And one of the things you can do with therapy, I think all therapy stars do this and just use different techniques for it, um, uh, is get hold of problematic memories. And update them with more empowering, more useful, more adult ideas. So in cognitive hypnotherapy, this will be about finding those memories and basically rewriting the story that they told. So if there was a memory of falling over on the nativity play when you were younger, that means that now the prospect of stepping on stage and doing public speaking is absolutely unthinkable. You can go back to that memory, and you can communicate with your younger self and say that it doesn't really matter. You can you can you can bring all the anchors in that we're talking about what that golden anchor that i've got is thanks to a memory reframe i did where my father had been around on a sports day again it's in the book um and my connection with him i imagined as this gold light that channeled between the two of us yeah so now that gold light makes me feel loved and capable of loving back and all of that stuff that's way more important than whether or not i say something stupid in public speaking yeah um so, yeah, you can reframe memories. But the lovely thing about memories being malleable is that you can. You can do that. You can go back and get them. You can retell the story in any way you want to. You can bring the metaphors in. You can have the flamenco dancer there doing snappy punches, whatever.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Because it's not real anyway.
0: So yeah. it doesn't
1: need to be what actually happened. You can add all sorts of things in there. People have done really beautiful, creative memory reframes in the past that involve metaphors, trees, bright, wide-reaching roots, or panthers with speed or you know whatever it doesn't matter and you send it back feeling better Yeah. and if the therapy session has been effective the next time that memory is triggered you get the the positive stuff instead of the negative stuff perhaps mm-hmm. at the same time and then you end up training yourself to move towards the positive stuff instead of the negative stuff
0: Yeah.
1: it's like typing in the URL to a website that you know and finding it's had a revamp yeah think you're going to get one thing but then there's something totally different there
0: reframing yeah see we've done i think we did a lot of that as well didn't we yeah mm-hmm. so what um have you got sort of future I mean, i'm sure you would have future goals and wants and needs more things i'm pretty sure again going back to what you said about the what your coach said to you when you were fighting i'm sure you have got things already now you finished the book that you want to do next and what's what you want to the next what's your next because you you did online courses as well right
1: yeah i'm running an online course at the moment with the the monsters thing getting people to um visualize and explore their mind monster and uh and then a memory reframing process in it and opportunity to rewrite future plans stuff like that which is really cool really enjoyable and a bit little bits different bit more creative than a lot of the other courses like that Uh, I think there are other creative ones out there obviously (laughs) um um I don't have any solid plans right now I'm just really enjoying I've got loads of speaking appearances coming up this year which is great because it's relatively new to me and I really love it so I've got at least another seven public speaking appearances this year yeah various different things um um And so, yeah, I'm just going to I'm focusing on that and also really enjoying being able to, you know, have my full client practice there. Yeah. It's been I've had to take a few weeks off in the, uh, the last stages of writing the book. So yeah. um, nice to be able to see my clients again and also make money. I yeah. haven't I haven't been doing enormous amounts yeah. of recently. I got
0: to was writing I,
1: the book. I'm not driven by money. I can be really terrible by, with it. I can not even realize that I'm running out of it. I'm not. I'm not a person who's great with money. Yeah. But um. But yes, unfortunately, you do need it. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna have to. Yeah, I have to dedicate a bit more time to that. Yeah, no, no massive plans. I just enjoy. I'm. I'm really enjoying speaking and running workshops. So I'm. I'm. That's the thing I'm developing at the moment. And I really hope I'll live, be able to write another book too.
0: Live workshops, not online ones. Off.
1: Yeah, live ones. I've got a couple of different opportunities for that coming up. A couple of different people to potentially collaborate with. Another thing I'm thinking of doing is retreats. Um, I've got a really amazing yoga instructor. And I went on, one of, on her first retreat a couple oh of really? weeks ago. Where was that? It was in Suffolk at a place called Inner Guidance, which is this sort of gluten-free vegan farmhouse in Suffolk. It was absolutely beautiful. There was a little pool there and a jacuzzi and meditation spots in the grounds. The grounds were massive. Yeah. And anyway, it was lovely. So um I would you there? Run some. We would, that retreat was just 3 days.
0: Okay, cool. And you go in them 3 days, you go vegan, you go gluten-free, do you? Yeah, yeah. Right.
1: If you're caught with, you know, any food with sugar in it or something it's taken off you. Really? I don't speak from experience there. I didn't. I did take some feta cheese.
0: <laughs> oh dear, you just got yourself up. <laughs> I didn't You're eat never it though. Going back there. I
1: took it because I took it because I I don't know. It was a, I was like, I I do thought process thinking. What if they hardly feed us anything and I'm really hungry? <laughs> um, and That's I was like, cheese. I'll take something. What do I have? And I was like, well, they won't be feeding me cheese. And there's an unopened thing of feta here. I'll take that. Long, yeah. Um, so. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So retreats, yeah.
1: So retreats would be great. That's that's another, it'd be a really nice... So you do workshops within the retreat? I'd do workshops and I'd like to run them with these yoga instructors. So it'd be a mix of workshops to understand mental processes and gain processes for gaining self-awareness. Maybe some tasks, some writing tasks or drawing tasks out there to get people in touch with things and doing yoga as well. So you'd have this lovely combination of body and mind pushing itself to the limits exploring the way it all feels um and i the great thing about retreats is I, I mean the tempting thing to do would be to say you come on your own you don't come with a friend or a partner yeah so that you're meeting you're you're putting yourself in a new place with new people there's no none of your old habitual cues or anything like that yeah. so you can't do that thing where you become 15 year old yeah version okay, of yourself right, right. Yeah. Or, your, or the version of yourself like that you are with your partner where you let them do all the hard work or the other way around, you take on all the responsibility. None of that would be there because it would just be you and new people and a new experience. I w- the other one I was thinking of doing would be uh, involving surfing too because I almost tried round once surfing, it's also in the book. Yeah. And it was a really important moment for me, this sort of learning to respect the, the ocean yeah. and understanding that I had to go with the water rather than keep fighting against it. Yeah. I was kept diving through the waves. But I was taking myself deeper and deeper into the main break. And then there was this point where my feet couldn't touch the ground. And I was exhausted and I couldn't keep going. And eventually this surfer came up and gave me his board and put me on top of it and said, you've got to go with the wave. And I said, I can't. And he said, you've got no choice. And just pushed me as the wave approached. He's a stranger at this point. He'd just yeah, to come to help you yep and I went flying up in the air and the board went flying up in the air um, but when I landed I could touch the ground again and thank god because I really I mean I there was a point where I choked on water and I was underneath the wave and I came up and there was like a split second before the next wave was on me yeah because I was only only my face sticking out of the water because it was so deep and I was exhausted and the waves were what I don't know thinking back they seemed like they were about five or six foot they might have been shorter than that but when your head is just above the
0: yeah
1: the water that and you're knackered that's
0: scary times
1: really really scary i mean really scary i really there were two points where i thought this is it this is where i die i really gave up hope for a couple of split seconds and if it hadn't been for that person teaching me to go with the water and then i realized afterwards that's exactly what we have to do with our emotions if we keep fighting against them we will at some point feel like we're out of our depth and we're going to die yeah but if you don't fight against your panic attack or whatever you go with it instead and you let it be the thing that motivates you back to where you want to be then you've learned the answer to the you've learned the trick of yeah being a sort of comfortable confident human being basically yeah
0: that sounds pretty scary i know that's something i've seen before on um, i love these survival shows the bear grills island and stuff like that although they're very obviously Hyped up a bit for, for the telly, but there's there's always they always get themselves in trouble with the water and the tide being on rocks when the tides come in, Oof. just getting caught out with um, underestimating the ocean. Yeah, that's yeah. some scary shit.
1: Yeah, and it's a real I mean, incredible force. I mean, this is when, stating like, the when obvious you're a here, but
0: strong swimmer as well. Yeah, you think, I'll be right, I can swim. Yeah, and you go, like, No, you won't.
1: Yeah, getting thrown about between two sides of a cave yeah it's it's scary stuff and it's really awesome in the original sense of the word it's an awe inspiring experience yeah. um and i just think i love the parallels i mean i think jung uses i i know jung uses water as a metaf- as a metaphor for the unconscious and so water and emotions are put in this used in the same bracket all yeah. the time water's a really common metaphor for emotions because that's the deal they can be it can be a beautiful little trickle or a, a drop it can freeze into snow it can and then it can be a tidal wave of devastation it could it can be hard soft it keeps you alive if you drink it yeah. it can drown you if you if you're not careful you know so yeah it's it's a beautiful
0: there's the bruce lee quote isn't there The be like water be water, heard that one be water
1: yeah and actually that trevor who developed cognitive hypno- hypnotherapy is a um big bruce lee fan he he trains himself in jukun do which is really? bruce yeah. lee's martial arts style and um yeah be what he wanted to create a therapy style which was like bruce lee's approach to martial arts so be water be the shape the person speaking the way that you need to speak for that for the particular client who's in front of you don't stick to rigor um to, to protocols or regimented um abc patterns yeah. that you hope will work for somebody water yeah. be fluid um use what you think is going to work in that moment for that person
0: yeah which is also a bit of a salesman tactic i think as well isn't it
1: well it is i mean yeah if you wanted to be skeptical about it you could say it was manipulative and in a way therapy is manipulative because what you're doing is helping someone manipulate their own mind into thinking differently yeah it's just that we're doing it in a really nice way it's manipulative as it instantly has these horrible undertones of yeah I didn't
0: just compare you to a
1: seller. Well, you did. (laughs) I'll let you get away with it. But I like that idea. You're selling somebody, you're selling someone's mind the product that they've told you they want. If they say, I need more confidence, then the therapy process is about selling confidence to the mind of the client.
0: Yeah.
1: And the client's mind needs to buy into confidence in order for confidence to happen.
0: Yeah. So have you... um, you surfing a regular thing or this was a one-off?
1: I haven't done it since, but I will do. I mean, I was okay. straight back in the water after that day. It was fine. How long ago was it? Um, two two years, three years, or something okay. like that. Oh no, well, it must be longer than that now. Maybe three, yeah, three three years or something in Nicaragua. Beautiful, really amazing place. Yeah. Um, I will go and do it again. It's just not enormous opportun- amounts of uh, surfing places in London. No, there's not many. No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Have you got any? Um, was that that was a holiday? Was it?
1: Yeah, that was all. Actually, I went there to start writing my book, nice. and at the time, I didn't write anything except an article on procrastination, so um, that didn't really work out. But it was fine because I was going through quite a difficult time, and what I did find there was this really brilliant group. Not with the book, just in personal life. I'd broken up with a long-term partner and um, was feeling really alone and a bit lost. Just because everything, you know, in in losing my partner, I had also le- lost the gym that we both trained at. Okay, right. Um, which was much more than just the gym; it was my job, and it was my my friendship group. Yeah. And also, I lost my partner and my cats, and my gym, and my job, and my friendship group all at once, basically. Yeah. So it was really really hard. And then I went. So I booked this. It was also a time when I was just starting to make. I'd quit boxing. Right. Just that. The, like just a few months before and so i was full-time in my practice and for the first time i was making money so um i spent it lots of it at once yeah. spent a load of it on a really nice guitar and then i spent the rest of it on a trip to nicaragua on, on my own planned to write this book didn't write it but made a really great group of friends um Whilst a there. few of whom i see still see and had this brilliant experience so yeah it was all all good
0: was it just you? You booked it and just went, or was it a, an, an organized thing, or was it I very booked, casual? I booked like... it. Booked it and went. And it, went was, it was. It was. A, it's a today. place
1: where they they've got a massage therapist and there's surfing instructors on the beach. It's not all. You don't have to go there for set times. You just you can turn up for two days or twenty days, um, and as long as they've got a room, you can stay. Nice. It was really good. It was very trendy. Yeah. I turned up. The the guy who ran it. A guy called Matty Dickinson. The place is called Madeiras Village. Right. And, you know, if you want to go somewhere that's like feels like Shoreditch but warm, then that's the place to go. <laughs> so I got there and, and and Matty said, So are you from Brooklyn or Shoreditch? And I was like, Shoreditch, how did you know? He said, oh, it's always one of the two <laughs> <laughs> Brooklyn,
0: why? Why is that one? Right. Is that similar, similar The American vibe, version it? of Shoreditch, I guess. Is it? Yeah. Right
1: just kind of a trendy hipster it was all very hipster trendy spot. and hipster everyone was there with their laptops working on you know their new startup
0: yeah okay right like, yeah tech startup it was all a...
1: about it was all that that sort of place which is fine by me and it was really beautiful food and i didn't do any yoga while i was there because yeah. i wasn't into it yet but that was available yeah
0: you got any other trips booked
1: I got two holidays booked this year they're not retreats though i'm gonna add, um Albania with my mum and sister in two weeks, Okay. and my partner and I are going to. Where are we going? Oh, Palma, Mallorca. Oh, okay, nice. Uh, for a week before, before going to our friend's wedding, which is in the south of France. So we're nipping over to Palma and then going to the wedding on the way home. Nice. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome.
0: Is it going to be a chilled, chilled vibe? Do you like? Can you chill? Can you switch off? Lounge a beach for two weeks.
1: Yep. We're going to be in the mountains, actually. We've got an incredible space in the mountains with the most incredible views. It's only a 10-minute drive to the beach, though. So, yeah, it it will be a proper switch off. Lots and lots of board games. Excellent. That's the plan.
0: Would you manage to, or do you even want to, not do any work while you're out there, not catch up on anything promotions i don't know clients is it complete switch off are you happy to do that Can certainly do that? from
1: practice there'll be no client stuff out there um i don't think there'll be anything books any book stuff i probably will be on social media a bit yeah i wouldn't like i say i don't have i don't think it's completely evil i don't feel the need to cut off from it completely yeah
0: um do you catch yourself when you are getting when you do feel the negative sides of it or do
1: you well that that was what happened just after the book publication and i had that few few weeks of wobble yeah um i re the real the thing that alerted me to the fact that i was not actually altogether present and healthy in myself at that time was that i started realizing that i was putting way too much importance on whether people were sharing liking responding to stuff yeah and i was like why do i give a crap about this all of a sudden and then then i realized that it was that because i'd my minded decided that the book needed to be successful in order for me to feel okay yeah. and as soon as i realized that i started to back away from everything because otherwise you could you know you could spend hours just going through loops checking on the amazon sales rank and then checking on you know the, the amazon reviews and then checking on your twitter feed and your facebook feed and your yeah. instagram feed uh, god <laughs> so boring yeah so um yeah i i <laughs> I had to kind of notice that and step back a little bit yeah but I, so i wouldn't want that to be happening on holiday no way yeah but i'm quite happy to check in and see how everyone's doing and stuff like that
0: excellent on a friend kind of on a social side
1: yeah yeah and yeah and also i really like taking photographs my degree was in fine art photography so i, I like to yeah take photographs and share them
0: instagram is great for that yeah. i've found up. I've got only got into Facebook because you forced me to, um, <laughs> <laughs> because I know it's power with this podcast. But Instagram, yeah, I've really got into that. And and again, I was talking to my cousin um, about this, and she she absolutely loves it. She likes to travel a lot, and she loves photography. And she, yeah, she absolutely same reasons as you said, just into photography, and it's great. Yeah, it, it a great can tool, be. Instagram. Can be great. You can let it Can, can be awful. Bit, yeah
1: like i've had lo- I've, I've had lots of clients with body dysmorphic sort of issues or eating disorders who you know admit to having a self harm instagram account an instagram account which is only for fit- fitness models and physique bodybuilder people or bikini models that they look at to make themselves feel bad because they think that if they look at that it's going to motivate them into losing more weight right it's basically a, a Instagram version of of cutting themselves or self-harming. It's it's awful, um, and they find it really hard to quit. And They know it's bad, and they know it's not a thing. That, but they but it's a tool that they've been using f- for a period of time to get a certain result, which doesn't really work. You know, you can't motivate yourself that way on the long term into losing weight. So it will work in in steps, and then uh, and then problem but it, it's, it's it's fueling the the real reason of the yeah. eating disorders coming from the insecurity coming from a fear of being unattractive so constantly forcing yourself into this weird comparison echo chamber of yeah really unrealistic photographs that have probably been doctored on on the apps or photoshop or whatever someone's used as well as the fact that people probably starved themselves for weeks to get to that photograph and then dehydrated before the yeah, photo shoot and all that stuff. See, that we kind of know, but pretend we don't. Yeah. I saw an, an, an image of a, somebody who's really fit. She looked absolutely beautiful and she posted it saying, A few years ago, I would have been 10 kilos lighter, not 10, 5 kilos lighter than this, much more ripped, um, but also way more anxious. It was a really beautiful, vulnerable post about how when she was a physique model, um, she was really anxious and now she just looks after her body and she's ten times happier yeah. and I was reading the comments and most of them were really lovely just people were saying congratulations well done you look beautiful she did all that stuff and then there was one guy saying you've let yourself down you've let yourself go um, a couple of years ago you were really beautiful and now you're disgusting I was like what the hell is this so this is what we potentially open ourselves up to on social media and Instagram yeah. um, that side of it nobody needs that crap yeah
0: that's it's pretty big though, isn't it? That now anyone can, and I bet stars must get it so much. Oh, I
1: just can't, I can't bear it. I would hate to be um, famous. Yeah. How do how they deal with it? They can't look at it.
0: But I think it's if, again, if you, and it's something I'm starting to set up in my mind because in what I want for this podcast is it to get quite big. I, I want it to make a, make a difference to some people's lives, what you were saying about, it, even if it's one person. But I know you have to put yourself out there and in putting content out there you're putting yourself out there to the world mm-hmm. and if I'm on YouTube there'll be some sorry person that might throw some shit at you and you, yeah, you have to it learn will to definitely deal with that
1: happen. and you just, that's when you come the, the purpose makes such a big difference and you come back to the reason you're doing this is not to be a YouTube sensation it's to help somebody Yeah. and so as long as one person has listened to what you're doing and has benefited then you are doing something yeah. in line with your sense of purpose, and it—it's sometimes hard to come back to that. But we just—I think it's just a case of training ourselves yeah. to, when those things happen, and also to to always be open to learning from from whatever the criticism is that we're getting. If it's just some totally, you know,
0: You've total idiots, dickheads. Yeah. Yes, find, great, Yeah, Yeah,
1: it's just—I just <laughs> so, right, mean, completely pointless. Someone just getting their kicks from. Sense of power from behind their keypad, then you can just ignore it. But if someone said, given you actually something that could, even if it's said in a mean way, but could be useful information, then we have to be sort of open to learning. And it. that
0: might be the bit that annoys you more because you know, deep yeah. down damn it, he's right. Sheep.
1: Yeah. Point. <laughs> and then if you're humble in those moments and even thank them for their feedback and actually use it to make the next podcast or whatever, the next book I write, the next podcast you do better, yeah, then great. We'll look back on it at some point and be really really thankful for it
0: yeah i think learning learning about the mind and being fascinated and curious about it has definitely taught me a bit more compassion i think in the moment i'd like to think i could actually try and sympathize with this person a little bit because i'd now know to do that you've got some got some shit in yourself that you're not happy with
1: absolutely absolutely i really don't think anyone who's being unnecessarily me unnecessarily mean just anyone who's being mean. Yeah. I think there's, there's no such thing <laughs> as unnecessary meanness, is there? Not mean. Um, anyway, they, they're not happy. And that's really as simple as that, full stop.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it,
1: doesn't, it doesn't come from a place of joy. So, fine. I was yeah. on, there was a brilliant talk, uh, one that I was uh, at the event I was speaking at today, a neuroscientist called Jack Lewis. And he's got a book coming out looking at... He is looking at the seven sins, seven deadly sins uh, from a neuroscience perspective. I found that four of the seven activate the region in the brain which is connected to feeling socially isolated, like a feeling of social disconnection, the pain of that. Right. So, like, all these things that, you know, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of years have been tens of thousands i don't know when that stuff came about sure anyway there's certainly thousands yeah um yeah these people the things that people were talking about they're all they're all connected to shame to this fear of isolation the fear of not being good enough for other people it it all comes from the same place
0: yeah regardless of when it was found or or first first yeah we've
1: all been taught everyone's we know this intrinsically it's like and then the more science discoveries happen we will just kind of the roads just keep on leading to the same place just we just learn a bit more about it but we still don't seem to be dealing with it like the, the most painful thing is to feel yeah unworthy
0: yeah what's the there was something i was going to ask you a second ago when you mentioned the self-harm with the the social media side of things what is the self-harm all about because in my mind, I'd, I'd automatically jump to a cry for help, but then actually, a lot of people self-harm on their own and cover up the scars, so it can't is it, it can't be a cry for help because they they hide it.
1: Yeah, no, it's not always necessarily going to be. Something. Sometimes it's. I mean, I'd like to think of it as a cry for help to the self, and I think of that as any kind of any kind of problem is part of us alerting the rest of us to something that needs to be dealt with. Yeah. Um. But I don't know, I mean, I self-harm, you deal with it differently with each client. But al- something that comes up often when you hear people talking about it is the need to feel alive. So one th- one of our coping mechanisms, one of the ways that we as humans deal with pain is to numb it. And if we get too good at numbing our emotions and numbing our experiences, we can numb everything out. And yeah. I mean, start feeling like we're, we're kind of, we're dead. Yeah. We, we can't feel excited we can't feel aroused we can't feel sadness anymore because we've gone into lockdown and so one of the ways to create a feeling of aliveness is to actually see the blood coming out and get this kind of proof and the pain and the, the pain and the, yeah and brings you into the moment and everything like that. so that's one that's one of the things that comes up
0: right. quite often do you i mean and stop me if i'm getting too close to the um talking about anyone specific or any any of your clients do you and most of the people were at the similar level that I was just very unhappy a bit uncomfortable a bit anxious or do you have some people that have got some really dark behaviours going on that, that come to see you?
1: Um, well, it's a, it's a total spectrum and that's the thing see it's it's not you can't objectively measure someone's discomfort um, because you could have one client that's dealing with something you know awful something that that a lot of people would think was unthinkable, like um, child abuse in their history, like really awful things. And then the next one can be dealing with not having been invited to a party or having a noisy neighbour. And their level of discomfort can be the same. So it doesn't matter what they're going through, the point is that you work with the thing that's in the room. I say the thing. I mean the problem, not the yeah. human being. Um, but in terms of w- actually looking at the presenting issues, yeah, there are different levels. I've got a um, a number of clients, lots of whom are in the states, that um, that I see because I once worked with uh, a, a a woman called the Low Histamine Chef, who is um, who's kind of a internet guru on um nutritional advice for people who have histamine intolerance issues so lots and lots and lots of allergies so i've got lots of clients like that and those are the people that you would say yeah objectively they are more limited than many others because a lot of them are housebound because you get this chemical sensitivity that comes along with histamine intolerance often which means that you can't really tolerate perfumes you can't go near a supermarket because the detergent aisle is just going to shut your body down yeah so a lot of these people can't really leave the house. they do the sessions over Skype. They're on really limited amount of foods. and yeah, so they are when you, I, you know you, you said really dark behaviors I don't that's not the the, the words I'd use, but they are certainly in an objectively difficult situation. but like I say that doesn't mean that they are any worse off or. They're gonna necessarily suffer any more than somebody else who's dealing with an anxiety about their performance at work.
0: Yeah, that's a really good answer, and you've just yeah made me open my mind up to that a little bit even more. That and it is true that whatever you're going through is it's shit for you because you haven't got a comparison to somebody that might have might have suffered abuse. Yeah. Whatever your pain is, is
1: yeah. And it's worthy of, of expressing and dealing with. And lots of people make their pain worse. By I hear it all the time people saying, "I should be happy. I've got this hat and the other. I've got a happy family. I had a happy childhood," and they feel shameful and guilty about the fact that they aren't living a happy life.
0: Yeah, because they've got everything to be. Because happy they feel for. yeah,
1: they think they should. They think they should be okay. But if they're not, then that's it. Yeah, that's the truth at that particular time. And. You, you can't yeah i mean i think a lot of people would not seek help because they think that their their problem doesn't isn't worthy of somebody else's attention or whatever yeah and that's really sad because of course it is
0: it's a really good point a really valid point but um yeah i should i'm conscious of the time so i should get you to it where can um where do you sell the book
1: What well, books available at In... all good bookstores <laughs> <laughs> so on amazon all the obvious places where yeah people all buy the obvious books. places. If you put my name into Amazon, it's the only thing I sell, so it'll come up. Hazel Gale with Gale, G A L E, and you'll find it Fight, Win, Freedom from Self Sabotage. Awesome. And oh, and if you want to see Mind Monsters, look at mindmonsters.online, HTTPS, mindmonsters.online, and there's brilliant stuff on there. There's a Mind Monsters song, which is absolutely beautiful. And there are animated GIFs, oil paintings, sketches of people's mind monsters isn't it beautiful um and also the answers to those seven questions which can be really revealing um and then my website is hazelgale.com
0: excellent yeah I, I haven't looked at the i've seen the mind monsters instagram but i haven't seen i didn't realize there was a website for it yeah. as well with with, with yeah songs I, put and a, all sorts.
1: I put a wix web's website together for it which is really fun um and super easy if you need to build a website use wix and um, yeah it's it's lovely i really like that project i need to get on in fact i need to get back on the case of asking people to submit more of them because i i haven't been uh, uh haven't been actually asking people to do that recently so yeah uh, if anybody out there wants to submit a mind monster go to mindmonsters.online and go to the meet your monster page and send me some stuff
0: love it sounds good nice one